This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, February 28th, 2024. I'm Caleb Brown. You've come to expect airline ticket prices to vary. You've come to expect the price of a lift ride to vary. But what about the price of your Baconator? On an earnings call, Wendy's discussed leaning into more dynamic pricing on their menu. Those are comments the company quickly appeared to walk back. Cato's Ryan Bourne says dynamic pricing should be viewed as nothing more than an experiment, and consumers will be the final judge. Ryan, I think we may have talked about surge pricing before, at least within the context of uh, Uber and Lyft and uh, ride-sharing services, but this is not an uncommon thing. Prices are dynamic. They change based on market conditions. So when I read that Wendy's was toying with the notion of changing prices on what could have been a per-minute basis, I was a little intrigued. What were your initial thoughts of that notion of something like a fast food restaurant engaging in this type of pricing? Well, dynamic pricing, of course, is you know where the price of a good or service fluctuates in real time based on supply and demand. And it's really, as we've rolled out these new algorithmic technologies, this has become an option that wasn't available to companies before, which they're able to now harness. And you know, it's exactly the same principle for why you pay more for a flight home at Christmas time or holiday time than you do uh, in other periods of the year where there's less demand. This has become increasingly common across a range of industries. Yes. It's obviously deeply embedded in rideshare, Uber and Lyft. That's a sector where you're trying to equilibrate the demand and supply for for rides at any given time. But as these technologies have become more advanced, it's increasingly been used across a wide range of sectors. And restaurants, bowling alleys, and, and even bars and pubs in some circumstances are now thinking, well, perhaps this is a way for us to smooth out our custom, earn more profits in, in certain periods to cover fixed costs. And uh, so we're increasingly seeing experiment across a range of different sectors. Well, let me uh, first of all give Wendy's its due credit. Shortly after this was made public, this is from the New York Post. Wendy says it wants to clarify its plans to roll out digital menu boards that can change prices for burgers and fries throughout the day. The company insisted that Uber-style surge pricing is not part of the plan. After reports of the of Mr. Tanner's comments, uh, the CEO, Kirk Tanner, after reports of his comments uh, sparked an uproar this week, Wendy's spokesperson, Heidi Schauer, sought to walk them back in a Wednesday statement. So surge pricing is not really popular in a sense, right? It's it's the kind of thing where you're clearly taking advantage of the fact that I really want a cheeseburger now. <laughs> well, yeah, it doesn't look like you're going to be paying more or paying varying prices for your Baconator or your Chocolate Frosty anytime soon. But, you know, looking back, it does look as if this is a change of position. If you listen to what was being reported about the earnings call, it did suggest that they were going to begin testing more enhanced features like dynamic pricing. That sounds like the surge pricing that we're talking about to me. But I think it's important to understand, you know, why restaurants currently don't do it in most instances. And I think that perhaps gets us to why Wendy's have, have kind of rode back given the backlash. So when you go into a Wendy's or whatever, there's bigger demand, obviously, at lunchtime and dinner time, and that's relatively predictable. So why do companies choose to ration by having their customers wait in line rather than by using the price mechanism to begin with? Well, I think the reason is because if there's uncertainty about the price, customers have to search or you know be more likely to search around several restaurants to see who has the better price and who has the price and quality bundle of food that they're willing to purchase. So I think the fear for companies has always been that rather than searching every time to consume, 
a lot of consumers will just think that they'd prefer to buy the same quality brand at the same price and avoid that costly search. And actually, it's cheaper for them in terms of the overall cost they face to just wait in line and pay a kind of fixed price. So when companies are thinking about setting their pricing mechanisms, they're not really just thinking about demand today. They're thinking about the present discounted value of future demand in future. And it's certainly the case that if customers don't like this, then it will be unprofitable for companies to pursue it. And as a result of that, we won't see much of it. Now, the flip side of that is that there's a clear trade-off here. If you don't allocate by price, you do have to allocate by some other mechanism. And one of those mechanisms is making people wait in line for longer periods of time. So you end up with periods where it's extremely chaotic in fast food restaurants. People have to wait in long lines and often you know, if you've been in uh, various McDonald's, quite often they run out of things like milkshakes or the milkshake machine breaks where it's been kind of overused for a given period of time. So there are clear trade-offs here. Dynamic pricing can help smooth demand over time. It can give new profit opportunities for company, which induces entry to new competitors into the sector. But quite simply, if customers don't like it and enough customers don't like it, then it won't happen. But there is a, a separate issue related to surge pricing, which is just the view that it is it is somehow repugnant or extra greedy to engage in a process where you are rationing dynamically the products and services that you have available. Yeah, no, that's certainly right. And, um, you know, Elizabeth Warren today tweeted out that Wendy's was planning to try out surge pricing and she equated it to price gouging. And I think there's a general conception that many people hold which is actually addressed in a book that we're going to release shortly at Cato, that a lot of people don't seem to regard it as legitimate for companies to raise prices in periods where demand is very, very high. Now, obviously, we've talked about this a lot when it comes to anti-price gouging legislation, which essentially, you know, if you have a hurricane or whatever, and all of a sudden there's a huge spike in demand for bottled water, seeks to kind of cap or limit the extent to which companies can raise prices of those goods which are considered essential in emergencies. And that really is the same type of principle that you're talking about. A lot of people seem to just regard it as illegitimate to charge more in periods of high demand for what they deem essentially the same product. But of course, you know, if you consider the whole world implications, it's not really the same product in some sense. You are having to wait a longer period in those very busy periods of time at lunchtime and dinner time. And that leaves money on the table in the sense that that time is money to a certain extent, and it's not being captured by anyone. So what dynamic pricing, so long as enough customers are willing to engage it, really does is allocates more of the surplus to the producer in those high demand periods, less in low demand periods, smooths out kind of demand. But as I say, to the extent that it actually improves profit opportunities for companies, it encourages more entry into the sector. So every business has got to decide how to do this according to their own predictions of how their customers are going to react. But we shouldn't pretend that there's not a clear trade-off here. And whether or not customers would find it acceptable, that repugnance seems to loom large if a business is even pondering it, as we see with the case with Wendy's here. Yeah, that's certainly the case. But if you remember when Uber and Lyft first came around, we saw exactly the same reactions in regards to surge pricing. So to a certain extent, this is kind of fear of the unknown. And I think given the algorithmic technologies are there, as this is rolled out to more areas of the economy, people become more used to it. Indeed, you know, you kind of already are used to it in, in the sense of the variations of 
airline prices as you're booking at different times of the week or to fly at different periods. We see it with Ticketmaster and and the sale of tickets to Taylor Swift concerts and things. There's been lots of reports, Bruce Springsteen concerts, about highly varying prices as demand surges. Of course, people are used to this in their everyday lives. Happy hour, to a certain extent, is a, a form of reverse surge pricing, you know, trying to encourage people to come to bars at periods where demand is low. So as this has rolled out into new sectors, a lot of people have come to have an expectation of the price quality bundle they're getting from a product or service are going to dislike the disruption. But, you know, this is why we have a market economy. Certain companies can test whether this is something that consumers like. If consumers do like it and they get used to it and they enjoy the fact that perhaps they can pay less for their Baconator if Wendy's were to do it in future at 11 a.m., then it will be successful and more companies will adopt it. If not, it won't. But this is why we have the market process to you know, trial these types of innovations, which include price innovation. And for people like Elizabeth Warren, Joe Biden, when it comes to his complaints about things like junk fees, as he terms them, the notion really is, the short version seems to be, how dare you have this business model? How dare you attempt this business model? The market doesn't need this, is really, seems to be what they're saying. Yeah, I think there just seems to be a kind of broadly held view from many Democrats in Congress and in the administration that companies kind of adjusting that the way that they charge for certain goods and services is inherently anti-competitive, whereas I see it as part of the competitive process. Pricing innovation is part of how businesses seek to attract customers. And, you know, there's a reason that Wendy's was was thinking about trialing this. They thought evidently that it would improve their profitability. But, you know, this is a very kind of short-run consideration, I'd say, from the politicians. What they're thinking about is a, in a very static sense, well, if this company is making more profits, that must mean that consumers are paying more than they really need to, given the business's costs. And yeah, companies are always trying to eke out profits. But, you know, we should think about the market as an ongoing process. And to the extent companies can earn more profits from doing things like this in the short term, that encourages other businesses to enter the sector or other companies to think, you know, maybe we should be doing something differently, or maybe we should be entering that sector to peel off those customers who are perhaps unhappy with Wendy's going down this route. So yes, in the short term, companies are looking for ways to eke out profits. And politicians will point at that and say, see, these are... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they're trying to rip you off and, and and you know charge you more than you did before and their profit margins are being fattened but that's not what matters in the in the longer term what really matters is is consumers wants and needs are being served and if companies aren't doing that and consumers are unhappy about it we'll see different companies and different business models arise that do capture what consumers want Ryan Bourne is editor and lead author of the forthcoming book, The War on Prices. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you please. And thank you for listening.